0: On October 28, 1949, Philip James Eliot, a graduate of Wheaton College, wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to keep what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Uh, Jim Elliot, as he was popularly called, went on to become a missionary to a dangerous Huaroni tribe in Ecuador. Jim sensed a call from the Lord to reach the Huaroni tribe with the gospel. He took his newly wedded wife to the dense jungles of Ecuador, hoping to find some converts. In 1955, Jim, along with four other missionary friends, made repeated efforts to contact the local people, but they got very little success. Their missionary efforts came to an end when they were killed by some people of the Huaroni tribe. It was 8th January, 1956. Yes, it was 8th January, just like today. Jim and his friends were added to a long list of faithful Christians who laid down their lives for the sake of the gospel. For some people like Jim, Christian discipleship meant being killed for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. But for others like Martin Luther, Christian discipleship meant living under a constant threat and shame and insult for the sake of Christ. Christian discipleship is expensive and dangerous. This is a clear truth that emerges from the passage that we have read today. You see, the evangelist Luke places this passage right after the parable of the great banquet. The parable of the great banquet invites all kinds of people to fill the house. All are invited to accept God's grace, but with grace comes demand. The main idea of the parable of the great banquet is this. Many people who expect to participate in the kingdom of God will not be included. Many people will exclude themselves because they are too much occupied in the worldly affairs. Luke goes on to explain what are the characteristic features of those people who enter into the kingdom of God. Those who participate in the kingdom of God are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in this passage, Jesus explains what it means to be a disciple of Lord Jesus Christ what it means to be a true Christian, a true disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 25, we read that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. And the Bible says large crowds were traveling with him. Now, it's not unusual for Jesus to be followed by large crowds. The presence of large crowds around Jesus is understandable. Because from the time Jesus has taken up his role as the Messiah, his life and ministry had been spectacular. Thousands of people have experienced and witnessed healings and miracles. People have been drawn towards Jesus because of his charisma and power. But there are some, in fact just few, who are attracted to Jesus Because they like his teaching and find Jesus worth following. So it's a mixed crowd. Some want bread. Some want healing. Some want miracles. Some like his popularity. Some want to be in the crowd because everyone else is in the crowd. Some are enemies. And some are those who love Jesus genuinely. And the Bible says that Jesus turns around and he talks to them, talks to the crowd, and Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now there are several things that we need to note here uh, from this passage. First. This call is for anyone. It's open for all. Jesus doesn't put any racial or linguistic or national conditions here. Anyone can accept the call. It's open for all. But it is also true that not everyone will accept this call because the stakes are so high. Second. In this whole passage, we hear this phrase, cannot be my disciple, three times. Cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. Now, it doesn't mean that it is impossible to become the disciple of Jesus. It simply means that because the stakes are so high, it's easier to not become his disciple. So becoming Jesus' disciple Is not impossible but it's only possible with a great cost and a great difficulty thirdly we should not understand what Jesus says here as something opposed to the rest of the scripture you see we know from the Bible that the Bible clearly commands us to honor our father and mother to love our wives and children and to love Uh, our neighbors, and to love ourselves in a sense that we take care of ourselves. So what does Jesus mean when he tells us to hate our families and even hate our own lives? Here it is important to understand that the Bible sometimes uses the absolute language of hatred to express the comparative degree of affection. Well, it simply means that various degrees of affections are described by using the words like hate. Let me explain. You see, in the book of Genesis, we read that Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. In chapter 29, verse 30, it says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. But in the very next verse, verse 31, we read that Leah was hated or Leah was loved less. So the question is, was Leah loved or hated? And the answer is, Leah was loved, but Rachel was loved so much more than that. Leah was loved, but Jacob's love for Rachel was so much greater than his love for Leah That in comparison, it looked like Leah was hated. The word hate in this sense means to love less. To hate in this sense is to love one thing more than another. To hate in this sense means giving second place to something or sometimes letting it go as well. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, if you want to become my disciple, you have to love me supremely. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not give me the first place in life, he cannot be my disciple. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not love me more than he loves his family, he cannot be my disciple. Yes, it is true that we have to love our families. But our love for Jesus has to be so much greater than our love for our families that in comparison it looks like we hate our families. And it is also true that we ought to take care of ourselves. But our love for Jesus has to be so much greater than our love for ourselves that in comparison it looks like we hate Ourselves. That's what Jesus is saying here. Scottish theologian Thomas Boston summarizes well. This is what he says. What Jesus means here is this, that no man can be a true disciple of Christ to whom Christ is not dearer than what is dearest to him in the world. No man or woman can be a true disciple of Christ to whom Christ is not dearer than what is dearest to him in the world. Think for a moment. What is it or who is it that you love the most in the world? It could be a thing, it could be a person. What Jesus is saying is that, if you don't love me more than what you have just thought, you cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus is saying here. We must love Jesus supremely. For some Christians like me, this will mean going against the family religion to be baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ, even if they are disowned. For some, loving Jesus supremely means denial of family honor, denial of family traditions and rituals, and denial of ancestor worship. For some, loving Jesus means breaking friendship with some people who are a hindrance to their devotion to Christ. But that's exactly But that's exactly what a disciple of Christ will do. Excuse me. Now my dear friends, Jesus is not telling us to neglect the responsibility we have for our families. To care for them. But Jesus is telling us that the claims that our families make on us should not interfere with the claims that he makes on us. We must love Jesus supremely there are times when our love for our families can get in the way of our love for Jesus Christ and I know many people personally who would who had have not followed Jesus in India because they could not love their families less there are times when some people are not able to make a concrete decision of following Jesus because they cannot afford to forsake their family for Christ, if need be. For some people, it's not the love of the family. For some people, it's the love of the self. It's the love of pleasure, the love of sports and vacation that gets in the way of their love for Jesus. What about us, my dear friends, do we love Jesus enough? to be his disciple. Is Christ dearer to us than what is dearest to us in the world? Are we willing to love Jesus more than our families and our own lives? Are we even willing to break friendship with a person or a peer group because it's dishonoring to Christ? Jesus demands supremacy in our lives to be a disciple means to take hard decisions to follow Christ following Jesus is not a comforting life it's not a bed of roses back in chapter 9 Jesus has already told his disciples that he would suffer many things and that he would be rejected and killed he has already told his disciples But the disciples did not understand that Jesus would be literally crucified on the cross. They're not omniscient. They don't know what's going to happen. And this crowd that is following Jesus, who is the audience of the words of Jesus at this moment, have not heard yet that Jesus is walking on the way of the cross. They have only witnessed a charismatic and powerful Jesus who can heal any disease and feed thousands of people. But now, Jesus makes his demand crystal clear. He is saying, you are following me. You are literally following me. But do you realize where I am heading? I am heading to the cross. And if you want to be my disciple, you too will have to carry your cross and follow me. Everyone who wants to follow Jesus must take up their cross and follow him. Now, what did cross bearing mean for the first century Jewish people? They understood cross as a symbol of rejection, humiliation, excruciating pain. Crucifixion was the worst form of execution in the Roman world. It was reserved for the worst kind of criminals like traitors, criminals and slaves. I thought hard what would be a modern equivalent to it. And I failed, I could not think of any. But for them, Cross means death, shame, pain, insult, like no other. To see a man carrying his cross was to see a man going to die the worst of all possible deaths. And believe it or not, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you will have to take up your cross and follow me. What does cross bearing mean for us? It means sharing in the shame and pain of Jesus by being called one of His. It means sharing for His suffering for His namesake. It means suffering for upholding His standards in the world that is opposed to Him. Carrying the cross and following Jesus also means being willing to suffer and even willing to die in order to proclaim his name to the lost. Jim Elliot did exactly that. He was very young when he died. I'm sure he had many other options to go to, but he chose to serve Christ in Ecuador, hoping to see some revival, some some the work of the Holy Spirit among the who are in tribe. Now there is one important thing that we have to get straight here. Not every suffering that Christians face is the cross-bearing suffering about which Jesus is speaking here. This is a suffering that Christians face because, uh, because they live in a sinful world. You see, we live in a sinful world. We live in bodies which are affected by sin. Right? and we suffer disease, and we suffer pain, and we suffer all kinds of fatigue. Such suffering includes physical suffering, sometimes financial sufferings, relational problems, and mental health issues. But cross-bearing is a particular kind of suffering. It's not just any suffering. Cross-bearing is a particular kind of suffering. It is the suffering we endure for the very reason we are the followers of Jesus Christ. So we must distinguish between suffering that is there in our lives only because we live in this world, only because we are human beings, we are sinful human beings, and we live in a sinful world. But this suffering, for which Jesus calls his disciples, is the cross bearing suffering. We endure suffering because we follow Jesus, because we uphold the standards of Jesus. Whenever we are disrespected at school, or disadvantaged at work, or disowned by our families, because we take the stand for Christ, that's the cross-bearing suffering. Whenever we suffer because of proclaiming Christ to the lost, we are bearing his cross. We're also bearing his cross whenever we share the sufferings of others, Because we love them for the sake of Jesus. My dear friends, the cross bearing disciple is the only disciple there is. Therefore, the first question any would be disciple needs to ask is this Am I willing to die on the cross for Jesus just as he was willing to die on the cross for me? Because if I am not willing to die for Jesus, then I am not ready to live for him either. Jesus is calling for absolute commitment from his audience. But they must count the cost before they make a concrete decision about following Christ. And to make his point clear, even more clearer, Jesus gives them two examples from daily life. The first example comes from building trade. Uh, There is no sense of starting a building project unless one has enough resources to finish it. Building a tower requires a strong foundation and a whole lot of material resources. So starting such a building project without counting the cost is a sheer foolishness. And here Jesus is asking his audience to count the cost before they start following Him. Because following Jesus is just as expensive or perhaps more expensive than building a tower. Jesus is saying, wait, don't make a decision in haste. Sit down, think about the cost. Can you pay the cost? My dear friends, if you don't wait and think about the cost, your life will be like the unfinished building project where foundation is laid but not the superstructure. You are neither good for the church nor good for the world. And my dear friends, Christian discipleship is very expensive just like building a huge tower. It will cost us everything to follow him. So before we begin, we need to sit down and decide whether we can pay that price or not. The second example that Jesus gives comes from war. A king with 10,000 soldiers cannot afford to go with war with another king who comes with 20,000 soldiers. The weaker king cannot run away. He cannot be inactive either. He cannot just sit and relax because the invading king is anyway coming with his army to destroy him. So the only option that is remaining with the weaker king is to make peace with the stronger king. In this parable, the weaker king is compared with the person who wants to follow Jesus. And the stronger king is compared with God. When the weaker party is faced with the threat of a superior army, he should consider his resources carefully before deciding to defend himself. He should also consider the consequences of inaction and choose instead to make peace and settle terms with his opponent. Like the earlier parable, the parable of the two kings wants us to count the cost but this time what Jesus calls us to consider is not the cost of discipleship but the cost of non-discipleship the first parable asked the question can we afford to follow Christ do we have enough resources to spend are we willing to spend for him And then the second parable puts an addition. Can we afford not to follow Jesus? My dear friends, Jesus calls us to do some careful thinking before we decide to follow him. What Jesus requires is nothing less than the total surrender of all that we are and all that we have. Jesus is saying... Just as the weaker king surrendered himself and all he had to the stronger king, you must surrender yourself and all that you have to me. If you don't give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. A disciple who has renounced everything to follow Jesus is the only kind of disciple there is. And this was a shocking thing for the audience of Jesus to listen. Because all along they were thinking that Jesus had come to give them what they wanted. Many people in the audience, they thought that Jesus is the key to make good life. Many people decided to follow Jesus to get popularity, healing, miracles, health, food, good life and freedom from the oppressive Roman government. And good positions when Jesus establishes his kingdom. But Jesus tells them clearly before you get rewards in heaven, you must give up everything in this life. Unless you hate your families, carry a cross, and renounce your right to everything you have, you cannot be my disciples. And now it is important for us to understand that Jesus is not promoting asceticism here. He is not promoting a monastic life here. He is not asking his disciples to leave the world and become hermits, go to the mountains. He is not saying that. Instead, what Jesus is saying is this, that I want you to give up your claim or your right on everything that you have. Dear brothers and sisters, if you have made a decision to be a disciple of Christ, just like I have done, you have committed yourself to follow his model. We follow Jesus, we follow his model. And Jesus Himself counted the cost of his own obedience. Jesus knew that he would be betrayed, didn't he? He knew that he would suffer and that he would die on the cross. And long before he ever went to the cross, Jesus had counted the cost and determined that he would pay the cost for our salvation. Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem and he continued on his way to Jerusalem until he finished his work of dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Now Jesus rightly calls us To imitate him by giving up everything we have to follow him. Jim Elliot was no fool who gave what he could not keep to gain that which he could not lose. And my dear friend, you are not a fool. When you give up your life for Jesus, which anyway you cannot keep to gain eternal reward... Which you cannot lose. This is the way we live and die for Jesus because this is the way He lived and died for us. My dear friends, salvation is by grace alone. We don't contribute to our own salvation. That's absolutely true. But following Jesus will cost us everything we have. My dear friends, Have you counted the cost to follow Jesus? Are you willing to renounce everything you have? Are we willing to renounce everything we have? Are we willing to give full control of our lives to him? Are we mentally prepared to choose Christ over everything that we have? If God brings such situation in our life. And my dear friend, we don't have to wait for that extreme time when we will have to choose between Christ and everything. Even in the minute, in the small, day-to-day, mundane uh, life, we must choose Christ over everything. Are we prepared to take the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to a distant and difficult country? Perhaps many people don't take up, the, take up the role as a missionary because there are not enough parks in the country where they are going. Perhaps there's no free medical facility just like we have here in Australia. Christian discipleship begins when a person accepts Jesus as their savior and it continues up until the time when the Lord sanctifies the person and uses that person to expand his kingdom. That's Christian discipleship. You see, Martin Luther understood what Christian discipleship is because that's what he wrote in his song that we sang today. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abided still. His kingdom is forever. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. My dear friend, what is it that is keeping us from following Jesus the way He wants us to follow? What are the areas the Holy Spirit is showing us where our old self needs to be crucified so that Christ lives in us? What are the areas and opportunities where we need to uphold the name of Jesus high, even if it costs us everything? Is the Lord showing you areas? where you can proclaim the name of Jesus, but all along you have been hesitant because it might cost us. Dear brothers and sisters, the Lord who calls us to such a commitment is also the Lord who gives us grace to follow him. We don't have to pull the strength from within ourselves because the Lord provides the grace. Are we prepared to follow him? If we are prepared to follow him, He is willing to provide necessary grace and courage to follow him. Let's pray. Dear God, we want to thank you for your word that we have read this morning and we thank you for the preaching of your word that we have heard with our own ears. And Father, we pray that you would help us To follow Jesus the way He wants us to follow Him. Lord, we don't want to follow Him on our terms. We want to follow Him on His terms. We want to give Him glory. And Father, we also at the same time recognize our own weaknesses. We are cowards many times, we are people of no strength many times. When we look at ourselves, We see that we can't, perhaps. But, Father, we pray that may your Holy Spirit give us strength and courage and grace to follow our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us to take perhaps strong decisions, perhaps hard decisions, perhaps uncomfortable decisions to follow you. Father, we pray that you would drive us to your word and drive us to the task that is ahead of us, to reach out the world for you, O God, for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we commit ourselves into your hands. We pray that may you receive glory from our life. In Jesus' name we pray.